Roll down tide. From the Clark Ford Studio in Oxford, Mississippi, this is the Beer Garden presented by Oxford Crystal. Like to hear a little bit more conviction in your take, though. There was a lot of maybes, a lot of what ifs, a lot of questions. You need to just get on here. You need to fire and and put me in a position where I have to tell you that you're wrong. And now, here's your host, Neil McCready. Nice, nice. Welcome to another edition of the Beer Garden presented by Oxford Crystal. I'm your host, Neil McCready. Today on the show, lots of college football. Ryan Brown, WJOX in Birmingham, joins us. We talk uh, a lot of SEC, pretty much all SEC, a little Oklahoma, mostly SEC football, uh, bread and butter stuff here in the middle of September on the Beer Garden. It's a beer garden that is brought to you by the Oxford Crystal, Highway 6 West in Oxford, right next door to the Oxford Exxon. Right now, you can get 10 crystals for $6. Great way to spend, uh, get get started on your football watching weekend. You can also get the Scrambler breakfast bowls. Early Bird gets the sausage there at the Oxford Crystal. And then $1 slushies all day. The Sprite slushies, different flavors. $1 all day, still plenty hot. Very refreshing. So don't forget all of that at the Oxford Crystal, Highway 6 West in Oxford, right next door to the Oxford Exxon. We're also brought to you by LB's Meat Market. LB's is located at 2008 University Avenue in Oxford, 662-259-2999. If you're coming in for the game this weekend, you're going to grill afterwards. Maybe you're getting ready for the Cal game next week where there'll be a lot of time after the game with an 11 a.m. kick. Get in touch with Greg. Tell him what you want. He'll have it ready for you, or you can go there into the store and browse, check out all of their sausages, uh, the beef sausage, the ribeye sausage, the uh, chicken jalapeno sausage. There's so much there. You'll love it. The lamb sausage is fantastic. They've got smoked sausage as well. They've got um, all sorts of sides you ought to check out, the stuffed mushrooms, the uh, uh, bacon-wrapped jalapenos, the cream cheese jalapenos. They're fantastic. Fresh seafood from the Gulf, all of the freshest cuts of meat, Handmade burgers, select cuts, everything you could possibly want. It's there at LB's Meat Market in Oxford. Again, that address, 2008 University Avenue in Oxford, right across from Kroger, 662-259-2999. We're also coming to you from, as thanks to Community Mortgage. It's located in Oxford, Memphis, DeSoto County, in Chattanooga. 30 years old this year. It's one of the oldest mortgage companies in the Southeast. All of the underwriting and the processing is done in Memphis. So you're getting local underwriting that understands your market. Community Mortgage is also the leader in condo financing in the Oxford market. So ask Jason Lowe about Community Mortgage's float down option. It allows you to lock in the current rate. But if rates go down before you close, you get the lower rate. It's J-Low, J-L-O-W-E at communitymtg.com. And we're brought to you by Strategic Partners and Media. SPM is a full-service advertising agency. It works with businesses of all types, big or small, Fortune 500 companies to startups. SPM can help your advertising needs for TV, radio, print, and every facet of social and digital media. Look, here's why SPM is really good and different than other ad firms. They handle everything in-house. They don't sub their work out. The writing, the production, the editing is done solely by their staff, crafted uniquely for their clients. And an Ole Miss grad and a Mississippian's a partner in the firm. So give them a call and see how great they are. It's Austin at strategicpartnersmedia.com. Austin at strategic 
partnersmedia.com. Now on back into the beer garden, and here's Ryan Brown from WJOX in Birmingham. Ryan, welcome into the podcast again. As always, it's great to have uh, have some time with you. Really appreciate you being here. Neil, it is always fun, man. I love talking anything, but especially uh, football with you guys. So with that, we'll start right with the New York Knicks. No, I'm kidding. All right, here's <laughs> – we normally start with Alabama and Auburn because I know you're over there and you talk about them all the time and you're incredibly well-versed in both of those programs. But I want to start somewhere else because I'm curious if you have – a similar opinion to mine and, and my friend Jeffrey Wrights of uh, 92.9 in Memphis. LSU's been good. LSU's been really good. Jeffrey and I think we're seeing a team that could be a national title contender. Do you buy that or are we too strong? Well, I mean, I, I think if they could beat Alabama, yeah. I mean, it, I think it comes down to the game in Tuscaloosa where, you know, they haven't won since 2011. I mean, they haven't beaten Alabama since 2011. That game happened to be in Tuscaloosa, so the, you know both streaks are the same. So, yeah, I mean, I, here's and I saw this. This was kind of a popular reaction on all the, you know, behind the desk shows for ESPN after that game, and and I do agree with it. They have finally developed an offensive style that could play with Alabama, because see, the biggest the biggest thing that has hurt them in the past is when the Alabama game rolled around less miles. And then after him, Ed Orgeron, for whatever reason, tried to beat Alabama at Alabama's game. They tried to play like Alabama plays. And that has never been the way to beat Alabama. And you, you saw it yourself, Neil, with, with your own two eyes. Yeah. The Ole Miss upsets over Alabama. It wasn't because they beat Alabama at Alabama's game. They threw Alabama something that they don't get to see every week. And and that's the way you beat a Nick Saban defense. So, to in in a sense, I think they've developed at least an offensive style. They can do that now. Can it perform when it needs to? And and can their defense be good enough against Alabama's offense? I don't know. You know that game so far down the road. There's a lot that will happen between now and then. But I, I think this what I would agree with you guys on is that they finally have come to the modern day of, of American football and it created an offensive style that could play with Alabama in that game. And then if they can beat Alabama, sure, they're a national championship contender. If you got wins over Texas and Alabama, both on the road, um, you, you've got room for a loss and still be okay, I think. All right. It's never too early to talk the whole BCS playoff thingy. Just play along for a minute. Let's say... LSU goes 11-1. and one. It's one loss is at Alabama, mm-hmm. and for the sake of it, it was a really close, competitive, entertaining game, okay? Okay. All right. Georgia goes undefeated in the regular season. Uh, Alabama goes undefeated in the regular season. They play each other in the okay. SEC championship game. You can pick the winner. I don't have a preference. It's super close, decided by a field goal. Is there a scenario where three SEC teams get in? Uh, believe it or not, we've already discussed this on our radio show briefly. Um, I, I just can't. I mean, I guess, you know, the caveat, well, not really the caveat, but when I answer questions like this, I always, you always have to say, I guess it is a caveat. You know, you've got to tell me what happens to everybody else. You know, I mean, do I have an undefeated Oklahoma and undefeated Ohio State? There's no way. No, let's say, let's say Texas wins the Big 12. Okay. And LSU has beaten them head to head. Yeah. For, for kicks and giggles, Texas wins the Big 12. Uh, there's nothing of real significance out of the Pac-12. Clemson does its deal in the ACC. 
Um, Notre Dame loses well, a game somewhere. Yeah, yeah. Notre Dame would have lost to Georgia in your scenario. Yeah, okay. So Notre Dame's out. Um, yeah. Um, here, here, all right, let me let, let me paint a picture that could possibly could possibly get three in. Texas loses to Oklahoma here in a few weeks, and then beats them in the Big Twelve championship game. Okay. So now it's two loss Texas, one of which was to LSU. Um, then you're going to need to do something with Ohio State after Saturday. After, really, after the first two weeks, Michigan to me is a non-factor. Um, that that team is so flawed and Harbaugh just he, he, he doesn't have the team. No. But now Ohio State is good. I mean, Justin Fields looks really really good right now. Um. So you know you'd have to do something with them. It, could Nebraska upset them in a couple of weeks? Not that Nebraska I've been watching the first two weeks, but they don't appear they can. But, you know, under Urban Meyer, Ohio State had that one game a year where they just disappeared. So, you know, if Ryan Day continues that, maybe Ohio State's got two losses and is the Big Ten champion. Um, in that scenario, there, there, I guess there's a possibility because the Pac-12 has almost entirely played themselves out of it already. With Oregon's loss to Auburn with Washington already dropping the regular season game in week two to California, even though it was in weird circumstances. USC is, is you know, they're, they're not going to do it. Utah, I think, can go undefeated. Utah can. Although Utah and USC had a couple of weeks is looking more and more interesting. But Utah, I think, can go undefeated, but they can go undefeated and not have beaten a ranked team all year. Um, yeah, well, the computer is not there. going to like it. They're, they're, I, I think yeah. you're right. I think Utah can go undefeated, but I, I'm not convinced that – an undefeated Utah team can get ahead of, of the one-loss SEC teams in the computers. Yeah. Yeah, I would agree with you. So, yeah, I mean, in that scenario, now we just painted, uh, you know, a crazy scenario. But in the one we painted, I could see it happening. Yeah. I mean, it would be, listen, if you want an 18 playoff, that would be the last thing that would need to happen before we would get an 18 playoff because there would be an all-out revolt to have three SEC teams in it. But at the end of the year, I think a lot of people would agree, yeah, Alabama, LSU, and, and Georgia are among the four best teams in the country. You know, um, do, do, do we need a playoff for three SEC teams? You're going to get a lot of no's to that. But I think a lot of people would have to be honest and say, I think they're among the best teams in the country, though. Well, you know, we're, we're kind of already seeing it a little bit. Auburn beat Oregon. Let's say Mississippi State yeah. beats Kansas State. Let's say for kicks and giggles that Ole Miss beats Cal. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, I can paint a scenario where at the end of it, you look up and go, the SEC beat everybody, and those teams beat everybody in the SEC. Yeah. Yeah, Clemson would be the lone, you know, I don't think, um, I, I, you know, obviously they've already beaten Texas A&M over yeah. the weekend, and I don't think South Carolina would have any chance against Clemson. No. So, but, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm already, like, penciling them in. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I think you can. I think they, they, I think they played their toughest game of the year. Now, I tell you what. Looking, and, and I'll say this, and this podcast, I guess, drop, will drop in, in Friday nights when Boston College lose to Kansas or something stupid like that. But as I look, we looked at it today on the show, and there's a chance, a chance, if you'll go look at their schedule, that the undefeated matchup that everybody thought you were going to get with Syracuse and Clemson might end up being Boston College and Clemson. Now, that is not going to matter. The game's played at Death Valley, and Clemson will whip Boston College. But you know, there is a chance that they'll end up playing an undefeated conference team later in the year than you might have thought. Um, 
All that said, I think Clemson probably won their most difficult game of the year already. I, I think beating Texas A&M was the most difficult game they'll have all year. And they beat them soundly, but it wasn't a – Oh, yeah. It wasn't like some dominating, eye-popping performance. In fact, at times, Texas A&M made Clemson look pretty mortal. They did. Clemson struggled to run the ball against Texas A&M for a lot of that game. And, and Lawrence, really, in the first two games, hasn't been great. He's been good, not great. Uh, Jimbo Fisher had the all-time backdoor cover in that game. But by and large, that was a game dominated by Clemson. I mean, Kellen Mond was horrific in the first half. They just could not do anything on offense all day long. Brent Venables won that game. Um, but, I mean, that's a tough game Clemson to play in all likelihood. I, even if Boston College is undefeated, I don't think they're as good a team as Texas A&M. And South Carolina, you know, they'll be so beaten down by the time they get to Clemson with that schedule they're playing. That's not going to be a tough game. So, and I don't know who they'll get out of the other division, but that doesn't really matter. I mean, North Carolina could end up winning that other division. You're telling me Clemson's going to have to beat North Carolina to get the playoffs? Please, man, that's crazy. Yeah, again, I just, in any scenario where I try to play it out, I just go ahead and put them in as yeah. one of the top yeah. two teams and they're in and then you know whoever wins the SEC is getting in and then it starts you start going from there. Jalen Hurts has been really good for Oklahoma and they're going to obviously win a lot of games. But if you kind of see the way that they're piling up the yards and piling up the, the, the points, it's with a very short passing game and his feet. And I'm not sure that scenario works in a playoff setting, hell, I'm not sure it works against Texas, but I'm not sure it works in a playoff setting against an Alabama, an LSU, uh, a Clemson, a Georgia. In fact, I don't think it does. Well, yeah, I think we've seen him throw against those defenses you're talking about. I think, you know, what you're seeing right now is against Houston and against the Patsy that they played, what was that, South Dakota State, I believe? Yeah. Um, or yeah, whichever one it or was, or South Dakota, whoever, North Dakota State, but, I don't yeah. know, somebody, a Dakota. Yeah, the one of the the Dakotas, one of the bad Dakotas, not one of the good Dakotas that they played. You know, those are wide open passing windows. I mean, Dana Holgerson, he's never cared about defense. I mean, that's you're not going to get defense with him. Um, so I think we've seen him against when the windows are a little bit tighter, when it's you know not NFL passing windows, but in the SEC, it's as close to NFL passing windows as you get in college, and it's much tougher, and that pass rush is coming much quicker. But, you know, it's crazy. I was looking at it today. He is 19th in the country in passing and 18th in the country in rushing. Um, he's off to an amazing start. And now they get UCLA, who has just been so disappointing. Uh, this whole Chip Kelly 2.0 experience has been such a huge failure so far, and they will likely light them up in the Rose Bowl. And, I mean, his numbers are going to be eye-popping. And, and when they get into the Big 12, I think they'll continue to be eye-popping. There's not a ton of defense there. You saw that with Texas over the weekend against LSU. So, I think he's got room to put up some numbers. But I'm with you. You put him against a Brent Venables defense in the playoffs or against one of these SEC defenses, and it's going to be a whole other game for him. Uh, since we last talked to you, Auburn's 2-0. They, they found a, w- a way to beat Oregon. They – Got past Tulane. We back to extending Gus. We're gonna give Gus another thirty million. I mean, what's where does that stand now with with Malzahn? Oh, it's about to get real. I mean, they hit this conference stretch where it includes 
a road trip to Texas A&M, Mississippi State, a road trip to Florida. Um, it, it's it's about to get really, really difficult for them. And they're, we're, we're about to see what kind of team this is. I mean, they've got one more game against Kent State before they hit that stretch. I mean, it's it's really fascinating. What have you uh, thought of them this, so far? You know, Bone Hicks has shown flashes, uh, but he's really struggling to throw the football. I mean, he's under 50% completion percentage. He's at 47%. It's not all his fault. His offensive line's been faulty, especially against Oregon. He had to make a lot with his feet. Um, but, and, and the other thing is his yards per attempt. If you look at it, he's next to last in the Southeastern Conference. So, you know, what he's completing, he's completing short. So it's just a bunch of short passes. And the ultimate issue, and this is nothing to do with Burnix here, is Auburn can't run the football effectively. In the first half against Tulane, they had 20 rush yards. And if you know nothing about Gus Malzahn, know that that guy wants to run the football. I mean, he, he if you gave him a 70-30 run to pass, he'd be very comfortable with that. And they're nowhere close to that right now because they can't run the football. And they really only, in my opinion – currently only have one three-down running back, and that's Booby Willow. All these other guys just are kind of specialty backs. And there's there's a kid named D.J. Williams who hasn't played yet, and there's, you know, Gus Malzahn is really close to the best on his injury information. It, and we don't, I don't know if anybody knows how seriously this kid's hurt, and Gus won't tell anyone. So until they get him, I don't, I don't know what they do with their run game. Booby Whitlow is really the only three-down back they got. He fumbles a lot. Um, so their run game's a mess right now, and that whole offense, whole offense, is predicated on the threat to run. And if they can't run, they can't move the football at all. Jump around a little. We said something a minute ago that was, you know, maybe it's too early to talk about the playoff. It's probably too early to talk about hot seats. It's probably <laughs> too early to talk about hot seats with coaches in their second year at a program. But uh-huh. <laughs> Tennessee's off to a pretty rough start. I'm not surprised. that The world seems surprised. Two thoughts. One, they were really bad last year, and I saw no real reason that they should be significantly better this year. And over the last 20 years, Tennessee hasn't done anything. Yeah. I don't know what everyone's – I caught myself doing it on Saturday, and so we talked about it, and some people gave me the stats. This Brigham Young score pops up on Saturday night. I was covering Arkansas Ole Miss, obviously. And I said, hey, the Vols are back. You know, it's the, that joke that everybody does. And then it's like, why do we keep doing this? They haven't been good in a long yeah. time. Yeah. In fact, they've been you bad know, for a long time. Over the last 10 years, they combined with Vanderbilt and Kentucky. Those three are tied for the worst record in the league. In league play, are you serious? Yeah, even are they are even in front of uh, Arkansas's worst? Yeah, Arkansas, Arkansas, and Ole Miss are both better than Tennessee. Mississippi State's like nine goodness. games better than Tennessee. Yeah, now I can believe that because Mullen did have you know some successful years there, and I can believe Ole Miss because the Hugh Freeze years. Um, boy, that is hard to believe though that Arkansas because Bielema was terrible at Arkansas. Boy, I guess Petrino was just Petrino had some years. The end of Nut, they yeah. won some games. Yeah. Um, you know, I don't know. It, it becomes this popular discussion because Phil Fulmer is there that he sweeps in and takes over. 
I think from you know, the people I've talked to out there, I think, first of all, I think they're going to start one in six. Um, they're, they're, I talked about Auburn stretch coming up. The Tennessee stretch is crazy difficult coming up. Um, and they, I don't know which of these games they're going to shock somebody and win. I mean, after Tennessee Chattanooga, assuming they beat Chattanooga, which I don't guess right now we need to make any assumptions with Tennessee, but assuming they beat Chattanooga, their next four games, and I probably will get the order wrong of these, is Florida, Georgia, Mississippi State, and Alabama. Um, and I mean, I don't, I don't know where you find the win there. I mean, I, you, they could obviously beat Mississippi State. Florida can be really sketchy, but they're not beating Georgia and Alabama. So best case scenario, they're three and three. Um, I guess maybe you would feel a little better coming out of three and three if you were staring at one and six. But I mean, if they're one and six, here's the thing: you know, you're you hit the easy part of your schedule now. And if your team hasn't just obviously quit on Jeremy Pruitt and if there's not revolts going on, you probably stick with him. I, I don't know if I buy into this. Phil Fulmer wants to get back, you know, on the field and look like the hero. I don't know. That's easy to say with him sitting there, but. I, I think, Neil, why people thought this was going to be different is some of these coaches have baited us into thinking that magical second year is a real thing. And that you can just come in and flip a program that quickly. I mean, Nick Saban did it at Alabama. Kirby Smart did it at Georgia. And I guess if you tie yourself into the Saban tree, you know, people just assume that second year is going to be magical. Well, Georgia was in way better shape than Tennessee. And Alabama was in better shape than what their record indicated when Saban took over. It wasn't great, but it was in better shape. I mean, there were NFL guys on the roster. So I just don't think Tennessee was that. I think it was in such bad shape that it'll, it'll take, if proof, if they stick with him, it'll, it'll take him a couple more years probably to get this turned around. What about Chad Morris at Arkansas? We talked about this a little bit before we started. I saw them last week. They're, they're not good. I think he was playing the wrong quarterback. I don't think he I don't think he coached a particularly good game. He, he tries to get too cute. Seems like he's trying to be the smartest guy in the room. That doesn't work in this league. It never has. Not consistently. Is it If you're Arkansas, what do you do? I mean, Ole Miss probably and this is no offense to Ole Miss intended, but that's probably their most at least on paper with the possible exception of a trip to Kentucky, their most winnable game on paper. And not only did they not win it, they scored a late touchdown. That was a three-touchdown loss to Ole Miss. And their, and their one touchdown in that game before the game was out of hand was on a weird, goofy play that Ole Miss shouldn't have run and that probably should have been whistled down. It was a They got blown out, is what I'm trying to say, by an Ole Miss team that I don't know how good it is. It, it lost to Memphis in week one. It's, it's got a really rough road in front of it. If, but if they can't be competitive against Ole Miss, and they really weren't, they might not win a league game for the second straight year. No, I don't think they will. I don't know who they're going to be. And because I think, I think their East games are South Carolina and Kentucky, if I'm not mistaken. I could be wrong about that. I know, it's, I know Kentucky's um, one of them. Um, I, I've got it here in front of me. Let's see if I can grab it. It's it's. How many do you, do you know? Do you remember off the top of your head how many yards Ole Miss had on them? Four hundred and seventy something, yeah, right? Yeah, because because when I looked at that, I, I remember thinking, okay, well, Ole Miss. I mean, 
they didn't just lose to Memphis. They couldn't move the ball on Memphis. And Memphis is, look, Memphis is a good group of five team and a good AAC team. Um, I don't think they're great, obviously. But, I mean, you, you, Ole Miss couldn't move the ball on them. I mean, they moved the ball with ease on Arkansas. So if I'm an Arkansas fan, I look at that and say, okay, well, obviously our defense is way behind. And, and then, you know, you've, you've got an offensive genius and they can't move the ball. They can't score points. And you said they made, there's a chance they were even starting the wrong quarterback. And my coach tells me, he doesn't, and here's, here's my thing with all these trick plays and these gadget plays. And by the way, it's, it's one of the criticisms Gus Malzahn catches a lot at Auburn that he has to be the smartest guy in the room. And, and I do, and let me, I'm chasing a lot of rabbits here, but I wonder sometimes if this is just kind of the way these, and this sounds like I'm trying to disparage, and I'm really not, but these guys, Neil, that make this quick jump from high school to college, do they kind of come pre-programmed with that type of attitude that I'm going to be the smartest guy in the room? I got to prove to everybody what you know that I am a coach. That I'm not just some high school coach. I think so, and I, I think they do. I mean, I just think they do. And those guys seem predisposed to running all these gadgetry trick plays and goofy things like that. And they're not as good at lining up and playing physical football that you sometimes have to play. And I, and I think it sends a message to the team when you do that that. We don't think we're supposed to be in this game. I got, I got to, I got to call goofy things for us to be in this game. And I just, I don't know. I've always thought it kind of seemed a bad message. It was one of those things with Hugh Freeze that was always kind of my criticism of him. Was there oh, were times when, yeah. you might think about it. You know, they they'd have fourth and inches, and he'd bring in a reserve defensive lineman and put him at quarterback and a wildcat. He got Robert Kimbichi knocked out playing uh, running back in a, in a game that Ole Miss ended up losing at Memphis, a year that Ole Miss went, went to and won the Sugar Bowl. They always had to be cute. Stuff you always – and it's not fair because not everybody has Nick Saban's players. But Nick Saban doesn't get cute much. Nope. No. I mean, and I, just, I do think it, it is a characteristic of these guys that make that quick jump from high school. And – I, I, I've just noticed it with all those guys, and I don't think it's a – I think it can work in spots, but I don't think it's a long-term strategy. I don't think it can be your strategy of we're going to go in and we're going to trick everybody. You know, hey, here's these defensive coordinators in the SEC are pretty good. I mean, these guys, they're, they're tough to trick. And if you if, I think if your strategy is I'm just always going to be one step ahead of these guys and trick them, you're not. I mean, that's that's not going to happen. And you're you're not going to do that to the level of defensive coordinator that coaches in the Southeastern Conference. It's you know the Kevin Stills and you know Nick Saban's slash Pete Goldings at Alabama and Dave Aranda's of the world. These guys are really among the best in the country, and I just don't think that's a workable long term strategy in the SEC. To answer your schedule, by the way, the rest. To answer your question about their schedule, by the way, they they've got Colorado State this weekend. San Jose State next weekend, a game that uh, I might be fortunate enough to attend. They 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 play Texas A and M in in uh, in Dallas. They mercifully get an open date. They go to Kentucky, Auburn at home, at Alabama, Mississippi State at home, Western Kentucky at home, open date. Uh, LSU in Baton Rouge, and then they play Missouri, the other team from the East. In uh, in Little Rock, yeah, on on the the day after Thanksgiving. 
that was dumb on my part. That's an annual game. Um, well, I think it's because you're 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 like me, Ryan. You're thrown off, still to this day, thrown off by the geography of Missouri in the east. Yes, it's very eastern. Yeah. Um, that is a four and eight schedule right there. But I guess the positive is that's double the wins you had last year. So I, I don't know if the illness or the Arkansas fan base is willing to accept that, but it is. I mean, it's it's double what you had last year. Um, but, you know, the thing that jumps out of that San Jose State game that you might be fortunate enough to attend is um, that is the day that CBS has the primetime game, which means all the conference games except for one lone holdout for the SEC network, they are all played earlier in the day. And it was abundantly obvious that the ESPN people or the CBS people said, okay, which is the game the fewest people are likely to watch? Okay, Arkansas San Jose State. That's who we'll put against the CBS primetime game of Notre Dame and Georgia. <laughs> um, you, you mentioned Ole Miss. Ole Miss beat Arkansas the other day. Uh, I know you. There were other games on. You probably didn't get a chance to see a whole lot of it. What What did you think of uh, of Ole Miss against Arkansas? Did you see it, any real improvement from week one to week two that makes you think maybe it's a different kind of season? Yeah, I mean, I don't know if it's. I mean, maybe a different kind of season. I don't know. The, the thing that was most shocking to me, I mean, seriously, one of the most shocking things of the entire first week to me, and there, there were a lot of things in there, you know, Tennessee losing to Georgia State, um, the Florida State collapse against Boise. But the most, one of the most shocking things was that Ole Miss, I mean, I mentioned the number earlier because it stuck with me, 173 yards against Memphis. And I just thought of the two coordinators that came in, I really thought Rich Rodriguez would make the biggest impact for Ole Miss, and it hasn't been that way. McIntyre, it appears, at least on the surface now, has made the bigger of the two impacts. Um, I, I just thought I thought Rich Rodriguez would make a bigger impact than, than what he did. I was so underwhelmed in that first game. And watching Arkansas, you could see signs. Uh, watching against Arkansas, you could see signs that it was going to be different, that, it was, that, that maybe there is life in this offense yet. So... I guess that would be my biggest takeaway, only because I was so disappointed by what I saw in the first week. Yeah, you know, that first week was weird. It, it does bear repeating. I've had to repeat it to a lot of people. That was a redshirt freshman quarterback making his first ever start. Yeah, it kind of looked that way. You're it, right. You're you know, right. It, 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 was, yeah. it was several offensive linemen playing significant minutes for the first time in their careers. It was a new wide receiver core. Braylon Sanders went down in the first quarter of that game with a hamstring injury. And so it was just kids. It was guys playing their first game on the road against an okay team. And they got rattled early, and it showed. Yeah, I think I think it kind of culminated with the safety. Because, you know, you're, you're dropping a freshman back in the end zone on the road in a critical moment simply because you don't have any faith you can run it out of there. So it, that that one play kind of encapsulated everything that went wrong, right, with, with Ole Miss's offense that day. You couldn't run the football against Memphis consistently enough that when you're pinned down, you feel like, i got to drop the freshman back in the end zone to throw. Well, it was and one of those games. obviously not something you really want to do. Yeah, it was one of those games where the first, court, the first half went as bad for Ole Miss as it could have. And so the third quarter went okay, and they got back into the game. But by the fourth quarter, the defense had been on the field so long on a hot day that they were gassed a little bit. And just 
they ran out of time. You know what I mean? I mean, it was one of those deals. I thought Rodriguez called a much better game for Corral against Arkansas than perhaps he had called for him against Memphis. And I agree with you. I think McIntyre's done a terrific job. They're significantly Im- more improved on defense. They're they're more fundamentally sound. They're they're making plays. They're not giving up the explosive plays as much. Um, they're markedly improved. Now they're going to be tested throughout the year, and they're going to lose some games, and they're probably going to lose some games handedly. But I do think they're significantly better on defense, and the upgrade in coaching from McGriff to McIntyre is readily apparent when you look at it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that, 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 that has jumped out. I mean, in those first two games, you can see a difference. Again, like you said, they're going to face better offenses than what they have faced. I mean, they've still got to play LSU and Alabama. and That's, that's probably going to be a different story. But you can watch and see that, I mean, there were times last year you, you just had receivers running free in the secondary. I mean, this, you know, the defensive backs were just lost. And there was zero resistance against anybody trying to run on Ole Miss. I mean, everybody ran on Ole Miss. So, yeah, I think you could see the difference already in that. And, and uh, that's got to be encouraging. I mean, that's got to be encouraging. Speaking of Alabama, has, I don't know who the reporter in question was, but uh, a reporter was, was castigated and then challenged to schedule games for Alabama. Do you know if that reporter has been able to schedule any games for the Tide in the last few days? I don't. Uh, I don't know who he's working on home and homes with, but I did volunteer to be that guy, and I'll do it for free. And um, I'll do the whole SEC because I sit at home every Saturday and watch football. And if they want me to build some out-of-conference schedules, I will build some out-of-conference schedules. And um, I, I, don't, I don't know how the process works, but I'm willing to learn. And, again, I'll do it for free. I'm not even going to charge these guys. I'm, just, I'm looking for a really good TV product at Alabama, New Mexico State. Ain't that. No, and like this week. I'll take it. This week, listen, I, Awful. I get it that people want game, want free wins and, and, and that it, it, these teams come in. and for, I think it's we're approaching the point where it's disingenuous when coaches castigate fans and all this stuff. It's disingenuous when the schedule includes games like Kent State at Auburn, Arkansas State at Georgia, Northwestern State at LSU, Southeastern Louisiana at Ole Miss, Southeast Missouri at Missouri, Chattanooga at Tennessee, Lamar at Texas A&M. I just picked on half of the league, and the other half of the league plays these games too. I think it's there's got to be a better way. These games are not necessary in the whole scheme of things. Is there ever a day that the Power Five, Ryan, in your opinion, pulls away, forms its own league, plays each other, gives the fans a better product? Yeah, I know teams are going to go, are going to lose games and and stuff like that. I get it. I get it. But you'd still have one-loss teams making playoffs and stuff like that. The game would be better for the fans. More fans would 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 turn out, would show up. All that stuff. Is, is that just too pie in the sky, or do you think a day comes where that happens? No, I've always thought that. Yeah, I've always thought you're going to end up with another division. You're going to have the Power Fives plus Notre Dame, maybe plus BYU, split away and do their own thing. And there's just going to be too much money at stake. And, you know, the group of five teams, the AACs of the world and the Mountain West, who have got some really good teams, they're not going to like that. 
But, you know, I think they'll have their own championship. And, and let me just tell you this. Um, if you ever bring that up on Twitter and the Central Florida fans catch wind of it, um, be prepared for your Twitter to melt down because they hate the idea. They think they deserve a, a seat at the table uh, that we currently have. And, you know, look, that argument's going to go on and on forever. I'll, I'll say this for Nick Saban. And, you know, he gets killed for giving answers like he, like he did the other day. But Nick Saban has long been sometimes the only coaching voice in the SEC campaigning to expand the SEC schedule and play nine games. He has. You're right. And, and, and you know, I, I will give him credit for that. And his, his theory in all this, his idea, is that the Power Five should only play other Power Five teams. But, and everybody says, well, Nick, you make your own schedule, play only Power Five teams. I think. And I understand people saying that, and what Saban's response would be was, well, I want everybody to do it. Now, let me let me say what the other side says. Well, of course Nick Saban wants everybody to do it, because Nick Saban's got the best team in football, and he's got a roster that can play only Power 5 teams. And it, it wouldn't level the playing field any more than anything else for Alabama. So I understand the other side of that, but I, I will say that for Nick Saban. He has a wolf, and he said that in the answer you're referencing, that he thinks group of five should only a power five should only play power five, and he actually even said in that answer that he's for a ten game conference schedule. He has been at nine. I don't know if he just misspoke if he now is on the play ten conference games, but he he's wanted an expanded conference schedule for sure. Well, we're going to get exciting games when you get it. I mean, last year when Georgia went up to yep. Notre Dame, it was a big event for their fans. Uh, this year, I'm sure there's a lot of Notre Dame fans that are probably making their first ever trip to Athens. They're going to see something new. It's exciting. If you're an Athens, if you're a Georgia season ticket holder, it's awesome that Notre Dame's on the schedule, right? I mean, that's that's fun. Yeah. yeah. I mean, next week California comes here. That's that's a cool game for Ole Miss fans. It's a team from the Pac-12 and. Oh, Ole Miss went up there a couple went over there a couple of years ago. That's that's a fun game. Nobody cares about seeing southeastern Louisiana. It's going to be no. 95 degrees on Saturday afternoon, and then when no one shows up, people say, "Well, you know, the fans this or the fans that." Well, people make decisions. I mean, what, what do you want to do? You want to go sit? You want to go fry in a stadium or, or watch the quarter of that game that's remotely competitive? with the AC going and then flip to a, a different game when it gets out of hand. That's it's an easy call. I, if I'm a yeah. fan, there's no way I'm going to that game. Not when, let's say I live in Nashville and I'm an Ole Miss fan. If I'm, I'm going to pick one of the two weekends. It's pretty easy to pick which one I'm going to. I'm going to go to the Cal game. Yeah. And it's and, 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 and the whole genesis of Nick Saban being asked about that is it has been a long-running discussion in this state to the point that it's exhausting about the students in Tuscaloosa not staying to the end of the game. And Nick Saban, it's, it's the, here's the irony, Neil. Nick Saban can get anything he wants in Tuscaloosa except for one thing. I mean, if Nick Saban went to Greg Byrne and asked for absolutely anything, Alabama would make it happen. The one thing he can't get is students to stay at a football game. And there's nothing he can do. He, there's absolutely positively nothing he can do to change it. He's, he's beat on the podium. He's talk till he can't talk anymore about it. He's challenged them. Alabama has developed this app that rewards students for staying in the fourth quarter of football games, and they don't stay. They don't stay. They don't care enough to. They don't want to sit around and watch Alabama beat New Mexico State by 100 points and 100 degrees. They just don't care that much. I don't blame them. And 
And and and and, then, and but you know, and the other thing is, everybody that comes to Bryant Denny Stadium gets shellacked. They they play very few close games at Bryant Denny Stadium, and it just gets, I think, boring. And they're complacent. And Alabama's student population has changed tremendously. It's no longer predominantly in-state students. It's predominantly out-of-state students now. So these these kids didn't grow up watching Alabama football. They've inherited Alabama football, and all they've ever known is Alabama being a dominant team. So they're just kind of they're they're just kind of comfortable with it. So that's that's where all this comes from is this long-running campaign by Nick Saban to try to get students to stay at a game full time because he thinks it helps recruiting, and and he may be right about that. But you know, it's not like Alabama can't recruit. They've been recruiting finalists to this leaving early. How good is this Alabama team now that you've seen it a couple of times? I think it's it's too early to tell. They've struggled to run the football consistently, which is a staple of a Nick Saban team. Um, look, they've got the best receivers in America, the best collection of receivers in America, and they've got one of the best quarterbacks, one of the top two or three quarterbacks in America, so they can throw on anybody. Um, the offensive line is a work in progress. Deontay Brown's going to be part of it. He's serving the last four games of a six-game suspension, and they've moved a lot of guys around in these first two games trying to find the right combination, and it's caused them to struggle a little bit. So I think they're going to be fine running the football. I think they'll find – I think what they really know is they don't have to have their offensive line rotation right until the Texas A&M game in a few weeks. So I think once they get that right, this is going to be a really good offense, and the defense just hasn't been challenged enough to know they've played Duke and New Mexico State. They'll get a little bit more Saturday in Columbia, um, but it's Duke and New Mexico State, so I just don't know. You know, they're playing true freshman linebackers because all the linebackers got hurt, but these guys are going to have four or five games to figure it out before they're ever even challenged. Last couple of things. You know more about these teams probably than I do. How big of a loss for South Carolina is Jake Bentley? How big of a loss for Kentucky is Terry Wilson? Well, you know, for Bentley and Alabama, that's who they see Saturday, obviously. Ryan Helensky came in and he set the world on fire. Um, but, I mean, it's going to go from basic math to advanced calculus very quickly for this kid. I almost kind of feel sorry for him because, I mean, his head will be spinning Saturday. Nick Saban will have him not knowing which way is up. I have seen what Nick Saban does to first-time starters uh, or to true freshman starters early in a season, and it is not pretty. Those guys get so confused. So it's going to come at him really, really fast. Um, and their schedule is just so brutal. To think they're going to have to do it with a backup true freshman, I just I can't see that with, with South Carolina. Um, for Kentucky, you know, that Terry, they're so average on offense. Their defense had to bail them out so many times last year. And that was with Terry Wilson. And um, this kid that go to, there's a backup that, that came from Troy. They, they just, I don't know that they've got the defense they had last year that's good enough to build them out of this many holes. So, and now you got Florida this week who owes them from last year. I, I think it's, look, I doubted this Kentucky team all year last year. I think it's about to take a turn south for them. I think this, this you know, maybe a six and six type turn south, not a miss a bowl game turn south, but. I think this Kentucky team, I think that was an injury they could not. He's not dynamic, Terry Wilson, by any stretch. But he kept them close enough that their defense could win them football games. And uh, that, that, that's saying a lot. I mean, that was what he was supposed to do for them. I saw where you got the uh, NFL Sunday ticket just to watch Dolphins games. And 
<laughs> what a dumb decision. <laughs> I mean, look, <laughs> you could, you know, you can just get a knife and cut on yourself for a lot cheaper, and 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 get the same exact feeling. I have been a lifelong Dolphins fan, and it is easy to be a fan. Look, Neil, you're a Cubs guy. How many horrible Cubs teams did you watch? In the process of winning the world championship, uh, more than I even like to think about. I quit the Cubs. I, I quit the Cubs so many times just to come back. Our relationship is just not. It's not truly a healthy thing. I'm sitting here right now. I just turned them on, and I'm like, "Why are you doing this? You, you don't. You know they can't win. They're, they're it, yeah. I know I can't make fun of people that do it, but then when I can separate myself from it and say, "Why do you do it?" It's probably what you say to yourself when you're watching the Dolphins on Sunday. Why? It, it's, I mean, it's the one thing. Look, I'm a Nationals fan, but, but my passion is the Dolphins. The, much of the same way, you know, the Thunder, the, I guess the Cubs are your biggest one, right? Even bigger than the Thunder, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, fan, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The, the, the Thunder are just fun to me. The Cubs are, the Cubs are personal. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, I just, I've invested all this time, and it's what I do on Sundays in the fall. You know, I turn on and I watch the Dolphins play, and I watch that. I mean, they got destroyed Sunday. Here's a funny, I'll, I'll tell you a bit of a funny story. Um, Marlon Humphrey, the former Alabama defensive back, is a defensive back with the Ravens now, one of the best in the league, by the way, one of the best cover corners in the league. He intercepts a pass late in that game, and the play by play guy says, you know, and Marlon's father, Bobby Humphrey, the former Alabama running back, actually was a Miami, you know, played here for the Miami Dolphins. So I text Bobby Humphrey, the former Alabama running back, and I say, hey, I'm sure you're watching, but you just got a nice shout-out on CBS. And his response to me was, I can't believe you're still watching this. <laughs> I am. Look, we're taking for two. Here, hey, here's something I thought was interesting. And, and I know the last time I was on this podcast, I said they're not going to trade Laramie Tunsil. That would be stupid. And they traded Laramie Tunsil. Um, but they've got all these draft picks just in case somehow they don't get the first pick. And after watching Sunday, they're getting the first pick. Do you think it would be crazy? Because Tua Tagovailoa may be the highest-rated quarterback coming out of this draft. We'll see. Almost everybody thinks Jerry Judy is potentially the best player in the draft, right? Do you think it would be crazy for a franchise and the Dolphins have two first-round picks? they got two picks in every round. To, if you've got that type of combination where you've got potentially the best quarterback and the best receiver coming from the same team to actually draft both those guys. Not if they're the best players. Yeah, I know. Isn't that kind of an interesting spot? I don't know that we've ever seen that where you know the best quarterback and the best receiver are on the same college team and you would have a chance to pick them both. Like, I just thought that the other day. I thought that would be interesting to see because they've got a, they've already got a chemistry. They know each other well. They, I mean, I just, I don't know. I, I just wondered if the Dolphins would even consider doing that, given the if they were given the opportunity. Yeah, I think if this, if your internal scouting says that you should, yes. Yeah, I mean, I, to me, it's it's. I mean, if, if they're considered that good, that's one thing. But if they're considered that good, and you've already got their their they. They know each other backwards and forwards, and they've got that type of chemistry together. It's all the more reason to do it, in my opinion. He's an awfully good quarterback. He he he, he just he does. He's kind of everything well. 
And then he, yeah, ha- he does. And then he has the charisma about him and a a presence about him. He'd be awfully tough to pass on. It would it would require. I'd have to feel great. I mean, beyond great. I'd have to feel just madly in love with one of the other people in the draft. And I watch, you know, look, and this may be unfair, but I watch Justin Herbert, and he, he's a guy that looks the part, and he's got all the tools, and then I watch him in big moments, and he just he's kind of he's kind of absent in the big moments. Yeah, Her- um, Herbert's he fine. He may be a, a Hall of Famer, but I just I don't feel comfortable with him. No, and if you're picking 18th or something in the draft, and Herbert's there, then sure, he's. I think he's going to yeah. be a good quarterback in the league. It's just my point is, is I'm not taking him over Tua. No, not in a million years. And, 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 and Herbert, Herbert's a good player. He'll, I, like I said, I mean, I, if you told me that he played in the NFL for ten years as a productive NFL quarterback, I'd buy it completely. But I'm not, I'm not passing up on on Tua for him. Yeah, and he look, he won't be the first pick, but I'll tell you a guy that'll make some money this year is Joe Burrow. And I, I think a lot of the NFL guys probably had him undrafted coming into this year. And the numbers he'll put up, you watch this guy will make himself some money. And not just the numbers. It's the way it looks. Yeah. He, yeah. I watched a lot of their Georgia Southern game. And I know it's Georgia Southern. I get it. Uh, and then he did it against Texas. And that's Texas. And all the DBU stuff, I don't care. They have athletes over there. He, he made throws and windows and put balls in places that you – NFL people paid attention to that. He 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 made himself yeah. money on Saturday, and if he keeps this up, and he'll have opportunities against other teams. I mean, he's going to see Alabama and Florida, and you know Auburn and and uh, Texas A and M, and I assume a, obviously a, a bowl team at some point, maybe maybe a really big bowl team. He's going to have more opportunities to do it, and if he keeps doing it, he's a guy that now he's a guy. I wouldn't I wouldn't pass over him for Tua. But he's a guy that could bump a guy like Herbert down in the draft. Yeah, Fromm is the really interesting one to me whenever he enters the draft because he's not going to have the killer numbers. He's just, uh, he's just not going to do that, it appears, at Georgia. But he's got a, he's got, he seems to have an intangible. Now, there, there's another guy, and I'll say this. In the big moments, he tends to come up empty. You look at those second halves he's had against Alabama in the two biggest games, and he's a little absent in those second halves. You look at the LSU game last year. So in the big moments, that's another guy that can kind of disappear on you. But I don't know. He's a, he's an interesting NFL prospect, too. But to your point, Tua is – I hope he's a great – who knows who, how good any of these guys are going to be as pros. But his accuracy is terrific. He's mobile as he needs to be. Um, I certainly hope he's good because it, it, it appears that he and the Miami Dolphins are on a crash course for the number one pick right now. Well, my friend, I really appreciate the time. I know you got some stuff to do, so I appreciate you uh, spending more than 45 minutes with us here on the Beer Garden Podcast. Thanks again, and we'll, we'll do it again soon, I hope. It is always fun. I love it every time. All right, Ryan. Thank you, buddy. All right, Neil. Take care, man. Again, our thanks to Ryan for joining us on the Beer Garden today. hope you enjoyed that. I always love visiting with him. I think his insight's fantastic. He's got one of the best radio shows in the Southeast. It's a a fantastic product if you're ever passing through in Birmingham. We'll be back next week with another edition of the Beer Garden, probably another football-related show. We will start looking at the baseball postseason as it shapes up. But it's September, and that means football, and we'll be talking about it here on the Beer Garden. So, again, thanks to Ryan Brown. Until next week, take care.